Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're <laughs> listening to Mumbrella Cast. Mumbrella, Mumbrella Cast. Cast. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Vivian Kelly. Joining me to break down your week in media and marketing is Mumbrella's senior media reporter, Hannah Blackiston. Hello. And reporters, Brittany Rigby and Zoe Wilkinson. Hello. <laughs> Plus, coming up later, I sat down with the Amazing Race Australia host, Bo Ryan, and chatted about offending people. But people will be offended. People will be offended by some of the things that they see. People will be offended like any other reality show. What he's learned from Kyle Sanderlands and Alan Jones. Um, if I feel something strongly and I have an opinion on something, I'll stand by that. And I've learned that from Kyle and I've also learned that from Alan Jones. And his unexpected music career. And we made the song to suit probably 15 to 18-year-olds, and for some reason it hit 5 to 10-year-olds. But first, the week's topics. Macquarie Media loses another exec and drops the axe on sports radio. Foxtel encourages customer tenure with its first loyalty program. And Tourism Australia follows up on Dundee. Macquarie Media, the radio business that operates Sydney's AM station 2GB and Melbourne's 3AW, among others, has announced some changes this week as it prepares for Nine's takeover, which should be completed by the end of the year. Firstly, after the departure of CEO Adam Lang on the 25th of October, it was announced the talk content on Macquarie Sports Radio was being paused for review. Days later, operations manager of 3AW, Stephen Beers, firstly, what a great name, and commercial director of 6PR, Gordon Hill, have both been made redundant. Hannah, for anyone who's not familiar with Macquarie Sports Radio, what was it and how was it performing in terms of its ratings? Yeah, um, so Macquarie Sports Radio was quite, uh, I would say, a small part of the Macquarie Media business, probably primarily just because it didn't do very well in the ratings. It held um, really small percentages in each of the markets it was operating in. Um, it was There's kind of an interesting dichotomy here because it was – obviously the name is in the title. It was meant to do what it says on the can and it was a lot of live coverage of sports and then some talk back with – big sporting heroes from over the years. But what we're seeing a lot now that the content has been axed is a lot of people, especially in the comments section, but also on Twitter saying that perhaps the reason it wasn't doing so well was because it was less sport conversation and more, you know, a couple of people getting together and having a bit of a chat and not necessarily related to sports. So I don't know if ever really found its niche in the market, perhaps. That sounds like our podcast, a couple of people coming together and having a chat. And never about sport. <laughs> never finding its niche in the market. <laughs> I'm really great at marketing. Now, it's worth noting as well that uh, it was, before it was sports radio, it was Talking Lifestyle, and that shut down only last year. So that was seen as a struggling format, and it was heavily funded by branded content and again it it didn't get great ratings so it switched to the sports format last year and then with this sports format you know it had a 1.1 percent share in sydney a 0.3 percent share in melbourne and a 1.5 percent share in brisbane so it really wasn't 
resonating with audiences. Uh, my understanding is it's pausing from 11 p.m. on Friday, the 1st of November. What does that mean, though? If I switch to the frequency of Macquarie Sports Radio in my city because I'm unaware it's been paused, w- will I hear dead air? Will they bring back talking lifestyle? What's What's going to happen? Um, no, so they've got a couple of commitments still. They do uh, sports broadcasting, which will still run. Um, so the initial announcement said that the live uh, sorry the talkback content was being paused for review but what's kind of come out quite quickly after that especially on twitter is a lot of uh probably the workers at macquarie media were made aware um it's really all been axed so all the talk content is gone all the talk hosts are out of the job now um so I'm not sure where that's going to go in the future, but in the meantime, they're going to be running content from their partners, which I suspect will be a lot of Macquarie Media content, so that's 2GB, 3AW, etc., as well as those um, sports broadcasts, which includes like the BBL and the Test Cricket and that sort of thing. So depending on when you flick over, you might hear some new live sports content or you might hear some syndicated Ben Fordham, Alan Jones, Steve yeah. Price stuff which we can already hear on their sister stations yeah well and see this is what one of the big feedback one of the big um feedback points so this has been especially with Stephen beers out at 3aw the concern has been the lack of locally produced content so i think macquarie media in general i'm not sure what nine's ongoing plans are i know um they do plan to put some of their own management in or absorb some of the management roles but i think especially in brisbane at the moment um they just Ben Fordham's just gone in on the drive shift over there. So there's now that's four BC has now got an entirely Sydney lineup. It doesn't have locally produced content anymore. And I think the big concern at three AW is that that's going to go the same way. And that maybe because it's the Sydney shows, it's the Alan Jones and whoever who get the big ratings, are they just going to be rolled out everywhere else? Because that's cheaper to do than to put money into local content that maybe isn't performing. So I imagine with all of these fears that, Stephen Beers departing and Gordon Hill departing have sort of confirmed people's conspiracies in that way and that they feel like with Macquarie Media being integrated into Nine, there's probably a lot of feeling that that means even less specialised content. But my understanding is the chairman of Macquarie Media, Russell Tate, has shut that down for now. Yeah, Russell was really quick to say, and I believe he did several meetings with staff throughout the week, Um They've got a quote from him here. 3AW is an iconic and successful Melbourne station focused on local audiences and content, and that will not change. But you're right, like, especially on Twitter, there are a lot of people. Um, Darren Hinch, who did used to work at 3AW, has gone in pretty hard. Um, How unlike Darren. (laughs) (laughs) Turmoil at 3AW. Sydney butchers have struck again executive bloodbath, which is the kind of writing I aspire to. It's quite Halloween appropriate. (laughs) It's very Halloween appropriate. Speaking of Halloween appropriate, Hannah wanted to do a (laughs) Halloween-themed intro, but one couldn't get me on board and two couldn't think of any spooky names that worked with Vivian Kelly, and I think the best we could come up with for you, Brittany, was Bootney. Boo Brittany. She did say Vili- Vivian Kelly. Yeah. Well, if anyone has any better thoughts for our <laughs> Halloween themed podcast, oh, I look forward to your emails, should, please. Reach it out. Email me at vivian at mumbrella.com.au because we couldn't, couldn't quite nail it at short notice on this All Hallows Eve. <laughs> Now, 
Now, it's unusual for us to be talking about subscription TV business Foxtel without using the words restructure, but they have had their other favourite thing, which is another launch. So this time it's Foxtel First, a rewards program which gives consumers different rewards based on their length of time with the service. The program has different tiers from from bronze through to diamond and will give customers rewards including entertainment experiences and fast-tracked customer service. So, Hannah, I'm no longer with Foxtel, uh, so I shan't be reaping any rewards for my years of dedication. Grim reaping. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all Hallows Eve indeed. <laughs> oh, it could get quite punny by the end. Uh, fast-tracked customer service. So I've had some pretty woeful experiences with Foxtel customer service. Are you saying that if I'd stuck around and become a diamond member, I'd get through to somebody on the phone faster? And is that a reward or should that just be basic common service? That's the one that got me too and that's kind of why I included it in there because I just think the offering of fast-tracked customer service is such a like surely you should be offering the best customer service you can from the start. Um, Especially to new customers because I think if you've been with Foxtel for 15 years, you've probably just decided to suck it up and you you know what you're getting. Really, it's the new customers that you should be giving a great experience because they do have a problem with churn. They do have Mm. a problem with retention and all of those things and signing up new people in this new landscape with subscription video on demand services and all the broadcast video on demand services. If I'm a new customer, I don't want to be at the bottom of the barrel. So there's a couple of really interesting points in this, I reckon. Um, Firstly, as you said, four different tiers ranging from bronze, which is zero to three years up to diamond, which is 15 plus years. You don't get that rollout of fast track customer service until you're in the diamond status. So you've got to have been with them for 15 so years. So you don't get the good customer services, bronze or silver sorry, or whatever. Sorry. So I'm 30 now. I have to wait until I'm 45 <laughs> to get good service by which stage I'm in. I won't even give my predictions for what might be happening to this loyalty program by the time I'm 45. I'm absolutely slammed by Foxtel for these comments. <laughs> yes, but let me leap in here to promise you there are some great other things that Foxtel are offering. So it's what I found really interesting is they were very – We I went to a media briefing earlier this week and they were incredibly quick to tell us that they had – given these rewards so much thought and so much uh, research. And what they've discovered is that when you're at a different point in your Foxtel tenure, you want different things. So when you're with them from zero to three years, you want experiences, you want tickets to stuff, you want to whatever. When you've been with them for 15 plus years, you want good customer service and a free upgrade to IQ4. What I think is quite interesting is the feedback in our comment section, which perhaps these aren't necessarily Foxtel subscribers, although from what I can see so far, they look like they might be because they don't look like industry comments. And all these people are saying, I don't want entertainment. I don't want fast customer service. They're all saying, I want to be able to pick what channels I get. Yeah. I want to be able to pay for the stuff I actually want to watch. This is what I've asked for all along. And also, like, what happens? So, I saw one of the entertainment offers is like Alice Cooper tickets. I mean, Alice Cooper isn't exactly the kind of artist that I'd be like, yeah, 
sort of no, appeals to people across the board. Like what if you don't want that? I think they've been quite specific with that because if you – one of the other entertainment offerings was a meet and greet with the Poor Patrol people, which I believe is what, a children's – Who is that? Children's TV show. Uh, and I think they've been quite sneaky there because I think if they've only got 100 Alice Cooper tickets or 100 Poor Patrol tickets, they're not going to be – there's not going to be however many Foxtel subscribers there are clamoring for the same product if you know what i mean because it really is first come best dressed so if they send out an email saying okay we've got a hundred free tickets to the cricket if in 30 minutes those tickets are gone it's all over so i think they're kind of maybe being specific deliberately so that less people are going to miss out so foxtel uh, as its name would suggest is joint owned by news corp and then the tell is telstra so there are a lot of bundles if you're a Telstra customer where you get Foxtel and and all of that. So if I'm a Foxtel customer but in the Tel part of it, do I get these rewards? You do not. Oh, uh, another Telst- blow for me on this All Hallows Eve. <laughs> <laughs> Telstra consumers will not get these rewards. That is because according to Foxtel, Telstra already gives people rewards based on tenure. Um, however... Patrick Delaney, Foxtel CEO, was very keen to tell us in the media briefing that if you were to move your account across, so perhaps you're a Telstra subscriber now. Yes, but I'd have to do that at the bottom of the queue because I wouldn't be a priority person. So shush and listen because you wouldn't. (laughs) If you have been a Telstra subscriber for 15 years and you go across to Foxtel, you just hop on there and you send Patrick a little email and you say, (laughs) I've been a 15-year subscriber and they will bump you straight up to diamond status. Talk about seamless, (laughs) intuitive, A-plus customer experience, which, look, I do have a gripe of my own, a Foxtel gripe of my own. I'm not a Foxtel subscriber, but I've been desperately wanting to watch Succession. And at the Foxtel Media launch on the way out, there were little cardboard boxes. You undid it and inside it had a promo code for a three-month free subscription, obviously to then entice people to try it and then sign up permanently. Yes, I I remember Hannah shouting, I don't want that and leaving without a box. I mean, you didn't know what it was until you opened it up, so that seems quite dramatic. No, but but somebody opened it in front of me and I saw nothing inside of it. She saw there was nothing in it. I was like, like, Hannah doesn't want spare cardboard. (laughs) Right, okay, fair. So anyway, I was like, great, three months, I can binge some stuff. I'll, I'll see what the service is like. I haven't had Foxtel for years and years and years. So that event was, I think, around mid-September, if I'm remembering correctly. And I remember the box, inside the box, it said to sign up and use the code by 31st of September and then you'd get your free membership. So I got an email on the 1st of October. It's now the 31st, so we've, we've had a month. And the email says, hello, thank you for attending Foxtel Media's launch event and signing up to a three-month free Foxtel Now subscription Just wanted to give you an update on how the setup process works. Firstly, we collated all names and details. Then we sent the list off to Foxtel for each person to be set up manually. This may take some time, so please bear with us as Foxtel works through the list of names. You'll receive an email from Foxtel VIP over the coming weeks to confirm your account has been set up. Thank you for your patience. So I'm not sure if it's because my last name begins with R and I'm at the bottom of the list, (laughs) but it's been a month. I haven't received an update. I haven't received an email from Foxtel VIP. I still can't watch Succession. 
Um, and I'm like, oh, if this is kind of what we're trying to do to get people to have a taste and then sign up, it's not great. Quick important note, you also wouldn't get the reward scheme because Foxtel Now customers are not eligible for the reward scheme. I don't scheme. really care about the reward <laughs> scheme at this point. I just but want to watch Succession. I will tell you that at the event, Fox, uh, CEO Patrick Delaney was very quick to tell us that Succession is his favourite show. And in fact, he has well, watched... Patrick, let me watch it. <laughs> he has watched some episodes up to eight times in a row. So, <laughs> Brittany, you're missing out. I love that this podcast has just become an opportunity for us to bring our gripes with brands and, and call out CEOs. Look, I have a platform and I will use it for the issues that matter. <laughs> what I will say, though, um, and I actually think this is a great idea, I think the main issue Foxtel has is that its consumers are always saying, what am I actually paying for here? I've still got advertising. I've still got you know this, that, and the other. What am I giving you money for? My issue is I think they've done this way too late because I think Foxtel has been hemorrhaging subscribers for quite a while now. I think if they had rolled this in about 10 years ago when everybody had Foxtel and everybody had had Foxtel for many, many years, they would probably still have some very happy diamond level members. However, I think maybe it's a little too late at this point. Up next, we wrap up the biggest ads of the week, including Tourism Australia and Velocity. So there's been a couple of big campaign releases this week and probably none bigger than the Tourism Australia follow-up to its Dundee campaign, which of course was those undercover type ads featuring various celebrities, including Chris Hemsworth, Hugh Jackman and Margot Robbie, which pretended to be a trailer for an impending Dundee sequel. And then at the Super Bowl, it was revealed that it was an ad for Tourism Australia the whole time, which many people had come to expect anyway, but despite people sort of not being that surprised by the reveal, it was a campaign that did incredibly well and received a lot of props, both in terms of its undercover execution and also from those who just wanted the Dundee film to actually be made because the trailers had drawn them in so much. So whatever Tourism Australia, which is Australia's peak destination marketing organisation, did next was going to get a lot of attention and a lot of scrutiny. It's always incredibly difficult to follow up a successful campaign, especially when as well they've had their chief marketing officer, Lisa Ronson, depart and go over to Coles. So they've got a new CMO in the form of Susan Coghill. So there's a lot of moving parts here, a lot of attention on a campaign this big. And one thing that's often said about Australia and Australians is, you know, we're quite self-conscious in our national identity. So when we're trying to market our national identity to external people to draw them in, again, we're going to be quite critical of it. And I went to a media briefing ahead of this campaign where they said that they're swinging back the dial a bit in terms of our marketing to overseas people. And we're trying to focus on the people of Australia, because according to Tourism Australia's research, that's what draws international visitors in. It's the people, it's our personality, it's our way of life. So in line with that, they've come up with marketing us based on our philosophy. So that's the word philosophy, but with AUS in the middle. And that's why I'm saying it so strangely, because I'm trying to emphasize that it's not a philosophy, it's a philosophy, uh, which Zoe, what is a 
what is a philosophy and what are we trying to say to people about Australia with this line? Yeah, philosophy, it's, it's an interesting term. Uh, what they're trying to capture is that unique sort of laid-back Aussie way of life, which their research has found is what attracts overseas um, visitors to Australia. I think the problem here is that, like you said, if you try and capture the attitude of an entire nation or the culture of an entire nation in one sort of term, philosophy, um, people are going to disagree (laughs) and object to it. I think also that maybe the idea of a philosophy, I hate saying that Mm -hmm. so much, um, of an Australian culture. I mean, yeah, it's hard to capture Australia because there's so many different cultures that are here and you also need to pay attention to the origins of Australia and the Indigenous culture that originated here. It's not just the like what they're trying to say, how it's a beautiful place and the people are laid back when there are sort of a lot of different cultures coming together and as we have seen lately, a lot of disagreement between those cultures. I edited this story and I scrolled through it about 10 times looking for somebody to tell me who Phil was. <laughs> oh, so you thought Phil was a person. I thought Phil was a yeah. person. But I'm not alone. This story mm-hmm. in the last couple of days has had, like, I think we're up to about 45 comments at the moment of just people saying, sorry, like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's not clear enough. And honestly, I don't have a single issue with this campaign. I think this campaign is beautiful. I think it sells Australia just fine. It's selling, you know, our laid back lifestyle, which you don't need a complicated deep in history campaign to sell Australia. We're a pretty easy sell to people who don't know that much about us. Um, I think what they've maybe done here is they've overthought it and they've gone, okay, we need a really great tagline to go with this beautiful campaign of imagery. Got it. Philosophy, because it kind of sounds like Australia in the middle there. I just think that's the case here. I think they've just wildly overthought it. Um, And I would be strongly surprised if it lasts. Yeah, I, I would. I wonder whether it started out philosophy as an idea as one of the as a really strong strategy and a really strong concept and whether it was one of those campaigns that sort of starts to get watered down in the process of um you know approvals from different bodies involved um through different versions of the creative I wonder if that's just sort of like through that process of actually bringing the strategy to life it's kind of gotten lost along the way well my understanding is that it was actually part of mnc sarchi's pitch to tourism australia is this was a core tenant of the idea that they were pitching to win the account and then they did win it and now it's now it's been executed it is meant to be from my understanding a three-year campaign because the guardian had quite a sussy line in there about how we've got like 1000 and however many days left to endure this campaign um but these nine philosophies, um, 
are meant to sort of sell Australia. So there's a no worries attitude, generosity of spirit, balanced lifestyle, closeness to nature, sense of adventure, storytelling, boundless optimism and a love of food. I mean, that's a lot of things to tr- to try and sell, but it is worth noting for all the criticism that this uh, campaign has received so far, there is more to come. Uh, this is very much the launch phase of it that focuses on the tourism industry and those working within it. So, you know, the people that are offering experiences off the Great Barrier Reef and the people that can take you shark diving in South Australia and the people that make our natural organic produce and, and all of that. So they definitely flagged that there's some big Dundee type moment to come. Like this isn't it. This isn't the big punch of it all. But I guess the issue with that is if you have a soft launch and it doesn't go well, you need that big Dundee moment to be huge. And if people are already on the back foot in terms of supporting the campaign, they're going to need their big TVCs or their big activation or their big whatever it is that's to come. They're going to need it to be absolutely huge and to absolutely cut through. I mean, we're not necessarily the intended audience and and this is the other thing that it will help to lift domestic tourism if it's successful, but we're not marketing ourselves to ourselves. We are marketing it to these high-end travellers in China, in the UK and in the US, and this campaign will be tweaked for each local market. So I think they called – he said something like it was mass bespoke or some kind of like – you know, thing that some buzzword. Yeah. (laughs) In that the overarching campaign will be the same, but how you market our attitude will actually be quite different in the different countries because the East and how they interpret, you know, our alleged open nature is quite different. So we need to tell the East and, you know, top end Chinese travelers that we're welcoming, but you frame that quite differently when you're selling it to a US traveler so we don't want to be too intimidating to some cultures and then we want to be you know really larrikin to others so they they will tweak it and they will change it and there will be more to come but uh, I think they've got a bit of a job to do based on the media coverage that I've read they they do have a bit of a job to win over some of the consumers out there do you think as well though like maybe the philosophy thing won't actually play that big a part in the wider campaign because a lot of the feedback i saw on twitter especially was like if you're going to if this is how you're going to market australia to countries that don't necessarily speak english or that aren't that are you know english is their second language a play on words is not the right way to do that um but i do wonder whether maybe they played it up in as you said the industry campaign maybe it won't even play that bigger part in the wider campaign. Yeah, I guess we'll we'll wait and see. It is on all the sort of posters. You know, there's one of a kangaroo on a beach uh, where it says, a stranger is a mate you haven't met yet. And then smaller than that is come live our philosophy. Uh, and then there's another one, you know, featuring on the reef. And it says, if you don't have a good story, get one, come live our philosophy. So, I think they will have to do quite a big education piece around what a philosophy is because you're right people will just be a bit confused about what it is and it sort of could look like a typo and if you're not aware it's for Australia then the AUS in there doesn't make a whole lot of sense so maybe if they educate the market a bit it will work but 
at the moment it is a bit, you know, a bit like trying to get Vivian Kelly to be a Halloween appropriate <laughs> pun. Um, it, it is difficult to do wordplay and, and to market wordplay if it's not super obvious what it is. And on, on paper at the moment without the wider campaign, it does look like a bit of a typo, but maybe they'll execute it and educate the market and mm-hmm. it will work. Well, some of the feedback also said that maybe the AUS in philosophy needed to be formatted just slightly differently, whether that be... To make it stand out. Yeah, to make it stand out for people to get it immediately, whether that be it's like in a different colour in the in the ads that they've released or if in the copy it needs to be in all caps when everything else is lowercase or something like that. We had a, another campaign released this week, which was the follow-up of News Corp and the Heart Foundation. So they had their award-winning serial killer campaign, which involved front page splashes on a lot of their papers about Australia's worst serial killer and it sort of looked like it was going to be some huge true crime expose and actually it was about heart disease and heart health checks and how many people it's needlessly killing and if it was indeed a person going around killing these people, it would be a national outrage and it would be headline news every day until the serial killer was caught. I mean, even Ivan Malat's death has attracted, you know, heaps of attention and he's been in jail for ages so what they were saying was you know this this should be a bigger deal than it is and they've followed it up now with walk away from a killer so I wasn't around on the day that this was released talk me through walk away from a killer I'd love to talk you through walk away from a killer um similar kind of concept they'll have front page wraps on some of the titles they're specifically targeting regional with this one um so i think the telly and the herald sun are going to have wraps and then a couple of regional titles will as well um and it's a similar thing it's a bit of a teaser with you know i walked away from a killer the true story etc and then when you open it inside it's heart disease um, so sort of telling the stories of people who did get a heart health check and were saved. Well, so it's more, yes, partially that. Um, it's also very much on encouraging uh, people to start taking preventative steps, especially in regional areas where there are a lot of people at risk of heart disease. Um, it's encouraging Chris Taylor, the CMO of the Heart Foundation, said um, they were surprised in doing their research how few people are getting in their daily exercise requirements, how many, how few people are even, you know, getting 30 minutes of exercise a day. So it's actually more about that. I think uh, I'm trying to kind of find a way to say this because Chris said with serial killer, it was really important that they cut through heart disease had kind of become this thing that people were like, Oh, it will never happen to me or it's not important or, you know, and in the medical, um, in the area of health marketing, it was maybe not that big a focus. So Serial Killer came out, it smashed goals, it got heart health check added onto uh, the Medicare register. It was a this huge phenomenon and I think it was always going to be really hard for them to follow up on that and I think maybe they didn't need to do a second Serial Killer because they'd already done it and now it's more about here are some other things you can do to kind of improve your general health. But I just think when you put these two next to each other, walk away from a killer is comparatively such a like lower tier. I can understand why they did it though in that serial killer was so successful Mm. uh, both in terms of the industry accolades it got and the real world changes it led to. 
and then they did their Heartless Words campaign, which featured uh, various people in various states of distress, you know, dying of heart disease and telling their children things like, when I told you I loved you, I lied. Now, I totally get the sentiment behind it in that they were trying to say, you know, if you don't get your heart health checked and if you do become unwell, you're not just affecting yourself. It has knock-on effects for your young children, for your families, for your loved ones. And so they were trying to tap into those sort of people who don't put themselves first and don't necessarily worry about themselves. They worry about their kids far more than they do their own health. And this was trying to frame it in a way like, look, you might not put yourself first, but actually by doing nothing for yourself, you're going to hurt those you love the most. So I think the sentiment was totally right and it could definitely work for lots of mothers I know who don't look after themselves because they're so focused on their kids and then if they thought about the fact that they might really hurt their children by dying young, that might prompt them to act and it can kind of tap into that family guilt quite well. Uh, It was a very confronting campaign though and it did divide people and it got a lot of backlash for, for that play on guilt and for adding to mother's burdens and family's burdens and that sense of guilt that people already have about raising children in today's society. So that campaign did end up getting pulled. So in light of that, I can see why they didn't take another risk and they went back to what they know and it might not be as impactful and it might not be as huge, but they probably don't want another heartless words backlash because, you know, they're not an organisation that's flushed with cash, so they've got to do yeah. what works. And Chris Taylor has said that in the past as well. He said that you, they kind of with serial killer and then with heartless words, they tried to do the most they could with the budget they had. And I can definitely see why now that they've achieved that cut through and now that serial killer has got such great feedback i can see why they've gone okay let's be a bit more thoughtful about where we go from here not necessarily thoughtful but you know what i mean let's be a bit safer and honestly if people are starting to get the heart health checks and if now this is like okay well here's some other stuff we can do which is a lot less urgent and important but is more about generally addressing australia's health concerns then this was probably the perfect way to do it and i think also with your point about having working with like the smaller budget and doing what they can with it, going back to the News Corp titles and like continuing to leverage that partnership is a really smart way of pulling off that tactic as well. Another campaign this week was Velocity, which is Virgin Australia's frequent flyer program. Uh, Via its agency, CHE Proximity, it's released a number of images created by world-renowned illustrator Noma Barr, which sort of use some unusual moments in the world that we live in to to market their point. So we've got uh, a Donald Trump image. We've got one of uh, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson being kicked in the face uh, and another one sort of exploiting the gender pay gap. So it's kind of meant to be, I guess, a a play on how people are using their points in that, you know, it's certain people are giving Britain the boot so they're not travelling to Britain as much with their points. And Asia trumps America so they've got Trump as, you know, a piece of sushi because using velocity points to go to Asia is becoming more popular than using points to go to America. Uh, The women are paid more for the first time in forever. Execution is because millennial women in five dock are 
uh, paid more points than millennial men. Um, it is a very visually clever campaign. Uh, I, I personally don't like the gender pay gap one just because I think until it's rectified it just shouldn't be mm. used to market anything and, and points aren't real cash. So, you know, let's not celebrate the fact that a tiny subset of women in a tiny suburb in Sydney's inner west are getting more points than their male counterparts because, you know, does that mean that they've spent more on flights on their wages that they actually get less of to get more points? You know, I'm, I'm not sure that that's entirely worth celebrating just yet, although, you know, I'm happy happy for my friends in Five Dock as I grew up <laughs> in the suburb next door that they're allegedly getting so many points. So, Did they mean to make the woman in that image look exactly like Carmen Sandiego? I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because <laughs> I when I first saw that poster, I thought it was going to be a play on where in the world is, uh, is Carmen Sandiego. Yes. And that was a great game during my childhood that, uh, you know, there were board game executions, there was an online game that, you know, went bloody gangbusters in about 1997 so I thought surely it's not a coincidence like that woman is Carmen Sandiego especially if we're talking about you know millennial women in five dock as I said I went to Abbotsford public school which is the suburb next door to five dock had a lot of friends that went to five dock public school and all of them bloody loved Carmen Sandiego they They absolutely (laughs) did so uh, come on I mean I'm I'm sure I'm sure it is given that They've done so well in making a piece of sushi look like Donald Trump. It can't be a coincidence that this millennial woman in Five Dot looks like Carmen Sandiego. Um, but beyond beyond that astute observation, Hannah, what, what did you think of the campaign? Um, yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'm going to sound like a bit of a negative Nancy here, but I am not sure on using political messaging for something as frivolous as frequent flyer points. I think not everyone thinks they're frivolous. No, and I know, I know that. God, even Tim's going to have a go at me for that one. Um, I just think I like, I, you're right. The images are, are very beautiful and they're very well done. Um, I think the campaign is very visually striking and I think it's going to get a lot of attention. I just think perhaps they could have done something without touching on these messages that, as you said, the gender pay gap one, to me, that's a bit of a like, oh, it's so great that, you know, these women are spending all this money on flights and, oh, they've got so many points and yay. And that's just such a frivolous way of looking at what is a massive issue not just here but globally and I think the rest of them kind of give me that same vibe I think you've got to be really careful when you start pushing campaigns towards a political direction and I think unless it makes sense you just shouldn't do it and in this case I just don't think it makes sense I slightly disagree with you um I think the political and just general current affairs references I think make the campaign feel more culturally relevant because with frequent flyer programs, you want to know, and with any like loyalty program, you want to know what the value of your points are, but you also, it's what some, for a lot of people, it's something that you don't necessarily think about. So I think that the references sort of bring it into like a modern relevance. I agree that the gender pay gap one I think was 
is a misstep because when I looked at that ad and I saw the headline, women paid more for the first time, I thought, oh, wow, are the female employees of Velocity getting paid more than men? And then I read the bit underneath it and I was like, no, not the same (laughs) thing. Um, I think the Trump one is quite funny. (laughs) I'll be interested to see how the Boris Johnson one I agree. uh, It's not a real image of Boris. It's a cartoon image and it's only distinctively Boris because because of the hair, really. Um, But it is... He's getting kicked in the yeah, face. Yeah, it is yeah. De- depicting somebody getting kicked in the face and I'll be interested to see if that does generate any controversy or any complaints to ads standards because, it's look, it would be far worse if it was an actual image of, of Boris getting assaulted. But, you know, that it depicts someone being kicked in the face and as unpopular as uh, Boris might be at the moment with the whole Brexit debacle, uh, I'm sure there are people who will take offence to that. But as Bo says in the podcast a bit later on, if you stick around, he thinks people are just looking to be offended and looking for something to whinge about. But if they are looking to be offended, I don't think they'll have to look too far with the British Prime Minister being kicked in the face. See, that's my issue. My issue is I just feel like, and you know, I'm probably very possibly wrong, but I feel like they've done this campaign just because they knew people were going to get up in arms about it. And I think relying on people getting up in arms about Boris Johnson getting kicked in the face is lazy. And I think it's lazy marketing that they've used for a campaign about frequent flyer points. They had a really effective campaign a couple of months ago when there was um, lots of controversy about Qantas frequent flyer overhauling their program. And as I said, you know, when you guys kept calling points frivolous, I was like, oh, there's a lot of people out there who disagree. Uh, I've known a certain boss of mine to take unnecessary (laughs) flights simply to maintain his status or whatever it is that he's doing. So people do take it seriously. And and even I've done things where I'm like, oh, definitely could have gotten a better deal by not doing this, but points, 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 points. And it's getting towards the end of the year when I have to, you know, reach a certain amount to keep my status. And look, all I can say is thank goodness we're having our Christmas party in Melbourne because it will get me across the line. (laughs) Um, so not not frivolous to everyone and, and when Qantas shook up their program, there was lots of backlash on that and very quickly CHE Proximity and Velocity took out a billboard, I believe, outside Sydney's domestic airport, which is a huge spot for business travellers and therefore, you know, a huge spot for frequent flyer fiends and they had a big slogan that said, huge news, nothing's changed. Mm. So, so they were really effectively, really quickly, really smartly emphasising their difference from Qantas Uh, and so that one worked really well and was a very quick turnaround on a very hot button issue. And I think that was a really good one. That Mm. was a great marketing ploy by them and I was really impressed by that. So, yeah, I'm not saying everything they've ever done is terrible. (laughs) I think that was incredibly clever. I just don't necessarily agree with this campaign. I think it's also just worth noting um, that not all of the ads do have those sort of political and current affairs references. There's ads that say, millionaires migrate to Queensland and it's about um, how the Gold Coast is home to the most points millionaires and the image is dolphin tails with the heads of millionaires like superimposed into the ends of them. So it's not like every ad has some kind of controversial reference in it. All right, up next, speaking of controversy, I sit down with the Amazing Race Australia's host, Bo Ryan, where he talks all things from Carl Sanderland's to his unexpected musical hit, Where You From, 
and what we can expect in terms of controversy, calamity and drama from The Amazing Race Australia. And welcome now to the Mumbrella cast, the host of The Amazing Race Australia, Bo Ryan. Thanks for having me. Now look, Bo, The Amazing Race sees all different personality types travelling through countries and cultures they may have never experienced Mm. before. In a situation like that where it's high pressure, high intensity and high stakes with people being asked to do sometimes ridiculous tasks and commentate on it as they go, how do you avoid not relying on sort of lazy international stereotypes when you're doing things like that? Um. For my role, uh, firstly, I want to say uh, how lucky I was to be working with so many different people from so many different backgrounds. I find myself a people person and been around for a while now playing both sport and now doing TV, and I was lucky that I could do TV one foot in, one foot out while I played, which gave me a lot of experience. Um, I, I like live TV and I like live stuff and uh, I like traveling. So when the, the op- opportunity to host the show came up, I jumped at it with both hands and it just fit me perfectly. Um, as for hosting on the run and going through all the different challenges and learning, um, I, I underestimated it a lot. I mean, I find myself really, I think I'm cultured, even though, uh, you know, all my mates are Lebo. Uh, I look Lebo. But see, even that, like, is that, when you say things like that, is that relying on lazy stereotyping at all? No, I don't know. I don't think so. My my mate, I'm not offended. My mates aren't offended. Um, (laughs) I've got a lot of friends and family from uh, Western Sydney and we've got, actually, my favourite couple were from Western Sydney. I'm not allowed to say they're my favourite, but I just did. Uh, (laughs) Roa and Amani, the Muslim mother and daughter, uh, probably... I've got a soft spot for them because I can relate. I mean, they've they had a they've got a big backstory. I don't want to give too much away, but um, I just really I really felt for them. I really I really wanted them to do well. Um, seeing their face uh, at the end of I, I don't want to say how far they got, but every pit stop when they arrived meant a lot to me. Um, and the diversity we had on the show was important for me as the face of the show because. Uh, I wanted we we needed to tick every box with you know obviously it's hard with every race color religion sexuality but I think we did a good job the people at Tan and Eureka did a wonderful job and it was super important for me to put my face to the show I mean I'm the guy on the billboards and on the buses and doing the voice and you know hosting so I need to represent that um, I find I'm very cultured um, if people get offended by me using the word lebo then so be it but all my friends and family are uh, from out Sydney's west and I've got you know I've I've got a lot of a lot of friends and people that I I love from out there, and that's where my fan base is, and I stand by that. Um, I don't offend. I don't try to mean to offend anyone. So, if people are offended, then that's purely up to them. We're in a society at the moment. It's, that is a really good question to start. You sort of knocked me off my feet. Right? <laughs> I wasn't really ready Gotta for that. Got to get the big ones um, out of the way. I, I, you know, we're in a we're in an age now where people want to be offended. They want to watch something or listen to something. And I'm on radio with, um, obviously, Kyle and Jack, the biggest and the best in the business. I'm on TV at 10 who are doing great things. So everyone's everyone's looking to, you know, at a TV show or at a tweet or an Instagram to say, how can I be offended by this? I don't like that. Yeah, that was, that was going to be my next question in that the Amazing Race has been mm. around for 31 seasons yeah. in the state. So 
it's not a new concept, but when it first came out, it probably wasn't operating in an environment with Twitter 100%. outrage. Yeah. So it has always been a show where people are under pressure and they're going to say things that yeah. are probably heat oh. of the moment. And, and so that will happen and it happened before social media yeah. outrage. Are you worried about now that there's that feedback uh, loop? Not really, man. I, I've been around for long enough to know that, I mean, I played a sport where people <laughs> shouted some stuff that I would never want to reveal to you guys from, you know, playing on the edge of a footy field, getting abused by by people that were at the game and, you know, then it went to online. So I'm quite conditioned for it. Uh, so I'm not really worried what they say about me, but I am worried for the people on the show and they've all got opportunities to be counselled and, and uh, looked after and Tan and Eureka do a wonderful job at that. Um, it is going to be tough because at the end of the day, the show is – a representation of, and I mean, everyone says that they're not being produced. You got to remember, they're followed around with a, a camera and an audio crew. No one's telling them what to say. They're saying what they feel, and you say funny things when you are in the middle of a desert and you haven't eaten for two days. Uh, when you sleep deprived, you do silly things. So, I mean, the show will control and moderate a lot of that, but um, people will be offended. Uh, we we cover we cover most diversities, you know, with our casting. We cover most backgrounds, I think. Um, People from all ages, walks walks of life, sexualities, which is super important to to me and and, and Channel Ten. Um, but people will be offended. People will be offended by some of the things that they see. People will be offended, like any other reality show. But uh, this show is not about people trying to get famous or trying to make a name for themselves. This is about people going on a little self journey, self development, and trying to win two hundred fifty grand cash, no tax. So you mentioned there that people aren't being fed lines. You know, no. the drama is real. It's because they're sleep deprived. They're trying to win 250K. Mm. They've got a weird challenge in front of them. So do you think The Amazing Race Australia is a more authentic reality show in that sense than some of the other hyper-produced stuff we're seeing? 100%. Um, I haven't worked on any other shows, so it's hard for me to say, but I've been at both 9 and 10 who do reality very well, whether it's, um, you know, maths as we've seen or Ninja Warrior when we started there or the Bachelor, Bachelorette, we see what happens there. And we, you know, I'm a fan of Unreal as well, the show that <laughs> talks about <laughs> on stand that talks about producing stuff and, and, and poking and prodding. And it's all part of it because it's, as a consumer, we want to, you know, you want to get a reaction from, from, I see both sides. I consume it. Um, but I, I'm also a part of it now, being a part of the reality train. And, and, uh, what you see is what you get on this show. I mean, at the end of the day, people get questioned and, 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 prodded by producers about why they said something or what they did but it's not they're not being told anything mm. they're being asked why they said that or how did they feel so there's a big difference there um sleep deprivation on some of the other shows or alcohol intake is you know sometimes you say things that you don't mean or say things you regret and sometimes that happens it's happened to me before i've said things i regret but not in this show this show is um this show is real it's raw it's honest and, you know, I haven't seen all the episodes but I know there will be people that take offence to how people sometimes, you know, talk to each other or um, the ups and downs but I don't know, I just dare people not to sleep for two days and then try to take a car trip into the middle of the desert and see how you go but, yeah, I'm super proud of what we made and I can't wait for us to see it. Now, you mentioned that you've done work with Kyle and Jackie O who mm. are the breakfast hosts on Sydney's Kiss 106.5. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're also people who sometimes get backlash and outrage, as I'm, I'm oh, I didn't sure notice, you're aware. Oh, yeah. <laughs> News to you. Yeah, I'm in the firing line every yeah. time I'm there, but it's all part of it, yeah. Uh, now, 
Kyle has spoken quite openly about how he doesn't bother engaging with that unless mm. he feels like he's genuinely made a mistake and then he's willing to engage with of the course. community. He spoke on uh, at a recent radio conference, Radio Alive in Brisbane, and sort of said, you know, he's willing to learn from his mistakes, mm. but he's also just not going to jump on the outrage mm. brigade. Mm. Do you think, though, there is an increasing culture of, with this backlash of brands then pulling support for things. You know, if Alan Jones does something wrong and it gets a lot of backlash, brands want to pull out and they there are boycotts and people going crazy on social media. Mm. Is that something you worry about or do you try and steer clear of that as well? <sighs> That's a good question. I Firstly, uh, I want to say Kyle and Jack, uh, I mean on FM, and Alan Jones are the best in the business. And they're the best in the business because they are – themselves. Uh, I'm very close with, with both of them, um, with both Colin and Jack and Alan Jones. I was over at Macquarie when I started radio last year and now I'm over at FM. Um, and I respect both all, those two parties hugely. Uh, I've learned so much from both of them. I still listen to a bit of Jones when I'm going, you know, into Kiss Early and, um, you know, obviously Kyle and Jack, are, I've learned so much off Jack working with her and Kyle is obviously, he's the king of kings. So, I don't. I, they've never changed, and they've both been number one for a reason. Um, in terms of saying things, uh, you do have to be mindful of what you're going to say, but not for brands to pull out. I mean, you got to look at the companies and, and the brands that want to work with certain people, and some some want to some want to associate with you know being with Colin Jack, some want to associate with being with Alan Jones. Um, I, I don't know how. I mean, there was there's always going to be backlash. I don't like when. Everyone likes to get outraged to be outraged, and there's a big Twitter storm. I mean, Twitter's quite brutal these days. I remember when I started on it many years ago when I was playing footy, and I don't know, it was all, it was one of the most, one of the first social media platforms, and everyone was okay. We were, you know, posting photos, and there was a bit of banter and chat, but now it's just, um, it's quite toxic. People are, uh, you know, people are using it to incite a bit of anger and hate, whether it's on a TV, watching a TV show and looking at how you can get offended, can get offended. But uh, I, I don't think about, I mean, I think about what I say. I mean, I'm more worried about hurting my family than hurting brands, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to deal with my wife than deal with the brand. Uh, I don't have to deal with the brand. I have to deal with my wife and the radio station. So I'm mindful of what I say, but um, I don't go out there. Um, if I feel something strongly and I have an opinion on something, I'll stand by that. And I've learned that from Kyle and I've also learned that from Alan Jones. You listed off quite a few of your media gigs there, including Macquarie Sports Radio and, and gigs on Kiss FM. How did this one on The Amazing Race Australia on TV, how much did it sort of change your perspective on working in the media and what lessons did you draw from all of those previous experiences? Because this one must have been so different. Yeah, good, good questions. I wasn't really prepared for this. But anyway, <laughs> um, I feel, and I said this earlier, I feel that, I, you know, I played professional sport to start and then dipped my toe in the water with TV. Uh, and then I got an opportunity at Channel 9, which I loved, uh, and I got addicted to it. And I was very fortunate that I got to learn as I went. Not many people get that opportunity in TV and radio. So as I got more experience at Channel 9, I got more airtime. Then I got more airtime. I got live uh, coverage, and I learned a lot. Um, then I got to radio, and I've learned so much. Even in the last 18 months, I've learned more in radio than I have in, in, in probably anything on how to talk with people, how to engage with people. Uh, how to engage with listeners, how to interview people, which I've been learning off Jack and the people at Kiss. And I feel like everything has pointed me to this moment right now. So when I was offered the job, if I got offered the race probably three years ago, I wouldn't have been prepared. Um, I've, you know, it's my first 
chance to host a show on my own and I'm really proud of that. There's a lot of pressure with that, but I'm, I'm, I feel I'm capable and I feel like uh, I did a wonderful job and I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of the job I put forward. So I feel like everything that I've learned, whether it was doing musicals or pantomimes and live TV and theatre and a movie I did and radio has pointed me for this moment because we've got the live ac- aspect of the show where you know I talk to the teams as they come in at the pit stop and I've also got the pre-recorded part which I've learnt at my days at nine. So I felt every single thing was pointing me to this moment now and the amazing race, um, if I had to have done it three years ago, I don't think I would have been able to handle it but at this point in time I was ready. So you mentioned that you wouldn't have been ready three nah. years ago, but when they asked you this time around, mm. did you know automatically that you were ready? Straight away. I actually was too keen. My manager was kicking me saying to sit down because Calm down. I probably lost a lot of money, but I didn't care. I I just knew it was my opportunity and I come over to 10 to work um, to work on, on, on entertainment and got an opportunity at Sunday Night Takeaway and learned a lot of Chris and Julia who uh, taught me a lot and the guys at ITV and 10 – uh, just with the live audience, I've always done at nine, but just with um, some of the presenting stuff and and some of the pieces to camera, which I learn a lot. Um, I like the lot. I like, you know, I've always shot vox pops and out in the streets. I really like that. I'll always that'll always probably be my main love because I like working with people, and I got to do that on the show. Plus, I also got to present, which um, is something I've I've really loved doing. So this show was a perfect mix. I got to blend with the people and also show my presenting skills. So um, I'm still getting pretty i mean voiceovers are something that i get bored with because i'm stuck in a room and I, I, I just got no patience but i'm getting better at that and yeah hopefully um everyone loves it as much as i love making it and speaking of channel 10 are you also doing some celebrity and fashion stuff for the melbourne cup oh, i am you've done your research um i like how you say that but you don't really know you're just asking me to help you along. well uh, to give the audience context you did arrive for this podcast a little bit early so yeah, i was just about to read about good. that and then you came up yeah. the lift <laughs> yeah that's what happens angie kent took all your um all your ammo i am i'm doing the uh i'm doing the races the melbourne cup with channel 10 which is in a couple of weeks, yeah, a couple of weeks. I'm getting a nod, uh, which is good because that'll. I mean, I was at the upfronts last week, and I'm super excited about the amazing race. But I don't know. I like to show different sides of myself, and that's what radio has been really good for. Uh, you know, I've, I like to engage with people, and I think my role at the races I haven't been briefed yet, but will be to be out there with the punters and in the birdcage and out there in the your GA and just mixing with local people and everyday people. And that's what I love. I, f- I find I can relate to anyone um, being from Wollongong and living all over Sydney. And like I said earlier, I've got friends from all different backgrounds and colors and cultures. So I'm going to enjoy it, but uh, I've got a fair bit of work to do between now and then. And what are your ratings expectations for the amazing race? Do you, <laughs> do you care about that or do- Will you worry about how many people actually sit down and watch it? I've never, ever cared about ratings in anything I've ever done. But if I'm going to be honest, I'm super worried. Not worried, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I'm, uh, yeah, worried's not the right, I'm nervous because, uh, you know, there's no one, no, I mean, it's not all about me. I mean, I'm hosting the show, but it's it's more about the cast and the way it's shot, but I don't know. I feel I feel I feel a bit of responsibility. Um, I've never felt that before. I've worked on obviously shows where you can sort of hide in in different aspects of it, and I've worked on radio shows where I've been a, you know a part of a team. So I've never really taken sole responsibility. But this one is this is different. This this means a lot to me. So I'm confident we're going to do the you know we're going to rate well. It's it's a it's a wholesome show. It's not car crash TV. It's not like a different another reality show where 
someone gets hurt or someone, you know, gets lied to or backstabbed and there's tears and, you know, cheating and all that. There, there is drama in our show, but it's more of a wholesome show where our family, our family can watch down and sit down and watch together. And that was a big part of me taking on the role. So to answer your question, I, uh, I will be checking the ratings the next day. I mean, you don't live and die by them, well, do you? Well, I don't know. I think that's a decision for Channel 10, not yeah. for me. We'll wait and see. I've already told everyone we're doing 10 seasons anyway. Well, I was just going to say 31 seasons and 361 episodes in the States. Mm. Would you do it for that long? Well, I told someone yesterday, I said, the guy from the States, Phil Keegan, great guy, but boring, and he's done 361 episodes, so hopefully I can get, I mean, even 10% of what he does, I'll be pretty pumped. So you're saying that you're better than Phil already? I'm not better than Phil. I mean, their budget's a bit different, but I'm not as boring as Phil. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to offend any listeners, man. I mean, we got a lot of, I've watched a lot of him, and he's been around since day dot, and um, yeah, he's, I don't know, he's something else. He just does it easily, like... You can watch a lot of TV and radio and try and learn, but until you're out there in the field and, you know, the elements, people underestimate how hard it is. I mean, Phil, uh, he's got his own little spin on things and he is quite, quite straight, but you got to remember you're in different altitudes and sleep deprived and hungry. So to be around that lo- that long, he's doing something right. And um, hopefully I can have a career half as good as his. And what shocked you most about being out on the road and recording it, you sort of had 31 seasons of history to look back on, but was there anything that caught you by surprise? Well, I I did have 31 seasons, but I didn't just look at the American – I didn't look too much at the American one. I looked at quite a bit at the Asian one and uh, the Canadian race uh, because I see similarities between myself and the Canadian uh, presenter who comes from a sporting background himself. He's Well, he's achieved a lot more than me. He's an Olympian, but – he wasn't a presenter first and foremost, and he sort of developed into the role. And I looked at things that he did. Uh, the guy from Asia is super talented and young, but a different background again to me. So I took bits and pieces of of everyone. And then when I got out there, I mean, the pit stops and pit starts, pit starts I say what I feel, and it's all me. But in terms of the pieces, um, yeah, I, I learned a bit from each of them, and I had a good script crew with me. The production company were good, and yeah, we just had a bit of a mission mash from everyone and that's what we got. So when you wrapped up your sporting career, yep. did you ever think that you'd end up here, host of the Amazing Race Australia and occasional fill-in for Kyle Sanderlands on Kiss 106.5? Fill-in for Kyle Sanderlands, no. <laughs> but to be honest, uh, I love working on TV and I sort of, I mean, I lost a little bit of the love for it the way the show was going that I was working on before I I went to 10 and um, things changed and stuff happened where I sort of didn't get as much uh, probably experience as I would have liked. I, was, I felt like I was learning a lot and then it sort of slowed down. So to to answer your question, I, yeah, I, I did see myself at some stage hosting a show. I did, whether it was an adventure show or a getaway or, you know, I, I just didn't know. I just needed the opportunity. Um, I love working in sport because it's given me so many great things. Rugby league's given me everything, but yeah, I did see myself hosting something and that's why, I don't know, all the experience I've learned along the years, um, everything I've taken with me has sort of come to this moment. And yeah, I felt I was capable and I feel like I'm only going to get better, which is, you know, hopefully the show does well and rates well and it's only the start because I feel like this, even what looking back, there's so much I can improve on. Um, you know, it was my first time away, firstly, for that long and I was still learning a lot, but I'm still super proud of what we put together. But yeah, I did, I did think I'd be able to do it. But in terms of filling in for Kyle, no, no way in the world. And if you weren't hosting the Amazing Race Australia, who do you think should have gotten the gig? Oh, that's a good question. Good question. 
<laughs> if I wasn't hosting it, I would probably go for a woman. Someone who I think could do it or someone who I want to do it. Why not both? Okay. They're two different people. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't want to say Osher because he hosts everything. And Grant Daniel, he's just, you know, probably too short for all the challenges. I'd probably say um, some, a woman that could do it. I don't want to say someone who's on 10 that's already done everything. Oh, man. It's hard, man. It's, <laughs> you know what? Because there's people who I think could do it, but I don't want them to do better than me. <laughs> They're not actually going to get the gig. No, but I'm picturing them, I'm picturing them do a really good job. Um, and I don't want to toss any names up. Um, someone who I think would handle it, I mean, probably – I worked with Erin Molan a lot at Channel 9. I'd like to see her do it because she's very polished, but I don't think the conditions would get the better of it, to be honest, and I can't really see her jumping off a gorge and being sleep-deprived. Well, kids will do that to you, so she's sleep-deprived, but I'll, I'd probably say, uh, I'm trying to think of an ex-sportsman. Who's an ex-athlete? Because I think I feel the way the show's going, you need to be quite durable mm. in terms of the challenges. You can't just, I mean. So do you have to do the challenges I do. Well? I do most of the challenges, yeah. Right. So jumping off things, crawling through things. So Not you just don't, the pretty face of the show. Then. Yeah, well, you don't have to just be, you know, um, yeah, good presenter. I mean, Phil, that's the difference between myself and Phil, the American host. He stand and delivers like he's very polished, but he didn't get down and dirty in the mud in Vietnam and was looking for snails. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd probably pick an ex-athlete, someone – Someone, uh, yeah, someone who's got a sporting background because I, I, I like the fact that rugby league and sport has given me so many opportunities and it was just a gateway. Rugby league was a gateway for me to be in this moment now and, you know, I have kids come up to me now and say, oh, man, my, my son wants to be an actor or a presenter like you and it means a lot to me. I mean, I loved playing rugby league and there's kids that have come up and want to play rugby league but when people come up to me and say, oh, their kids want to follow in your footsteps and work on TV or dance, and that means a lot to me as well because – when I was young, I didn't have those opportunities. I didn't do drama and it wasn't cool to be, you know, try and be on TV or try and put yourself out there or sort of told to stay in line and play sport. So I feel I feel good when people come up to me and their kids, you know, want to do that. So still don't have an answer. That's all right. Uh, speaking of all the various activities you've been involved in, when we were organising this interview, we uh, looked into your background and came across a song that you did with <laughs> Justice Crew. <laughs> 4pm, just woke up, found some cover in my cup Cousin come and say what's up, let's go get some fresh and chop Sweet as brew, that's us G, I will drive, give us the key Throw up the doves, yeah you know me, representing Whakatanui Is there any more music in your future? I'd love to say yes, because my daughter loves it now She's at an age where it's good And we made the song to suit probably 15 to 18 year olds And for some reason it hit 5 to 10 year olds Um <laughs> Where I play, I don't know if you're across the song, but I play three different characters in the song. I play. Is this a, the Where You From song? Where You yeah. From? I play. We've well, obviously got guys from Justice Crew or from all over Sydney. Um, and then I've also got, I play a character, a Middle Eastern character, DJ Yala, my Lebanese, uh, well, he's sort of my, what do you call it? Alter ego. Alter, yeah, he'd be my alter ego. Uh, I play him, uh, who is in his. You know, he's in his element out in Western Sydney. Um, I also play a – I said Kiwi, but he's a he's a he's he's an Islander character. So uh, the kids love it and it, it ticks off a lot of the people who loved me when I was growing up and, and playing footy, uh, from, especially from Western Sydney who um, 
you know, when I played out there at the West Tigers was a lot of my supporter base. And to touch on what you spoke about earlier, a lot of cultures, um, a lot of people from different backgrounds, uh, we wanted to hit every every culture. And I know I said I live in Cronulla, but I wish I had a little bit. I wish I had a little bit of Lebanese in me, to be honest, because I love their food, I love their people, and the way they love, I love the way they do life. So that song, um, you know, I have little Islander kids come up and singing it. I have little um, people in Cronulla. I have little Middle Eastern people coming up and singing it. So it's good that everyone embraced it, and that's what the song was meant to do. And it's still got heaps of hits on YouTube because the video is a bit out there and. Uh, I'd love to do another song. The only thing with the song, you got to, you make the video, you sing the song, and then you promote it. It's like, it's nearly as much work as this. <laughs> I mean, you, I was just going to say that's you exactly what you're doing now. Yeah, but you get paid heaps more money to do this. So, uh, I mean, if if time permitted, I'd do another song, mainly for my kids. Yeah. So it was an accidental hit with children. Didn't with children, you know little kids. Yeah. Wow. So I don't know. I've got fans in Western Sydney, and they liked it. So that's what it was all about. And yeah, it was good. All right, final question. Uh, would you watch this show if you were a consumer? So if you weren't the host of The Amazing Race Australia and it was on TV, would you sit down and watch it? 100%. Um, I didn't know what to expect for – I mean, because I filmed it, it felt like – it was only a couple of months ago, but it feels like forever ago. But I think Australia at the moment is crying out for something like this show. It's a wholesome show that the whole family can watch. I watch a lot of different – I mean, the TV I watch now, I wouldn't have watched 10 years ago with my daughter, obviously, Mars Singer. Um, I mean, Bachelorette, that's my wife and I. Don't tell anyone, but we watched that religiously. I just saw Angie before, had lunch with her, friends with her. That's right. <laughs> just name-dropping all your yeah. celeb mates. So, um, I, the, you know, the TV I'm watching now as my kids get older is changing, but this show is good because kids can watch it um, and there's a lot of fun in it, but also – you know, there's a deeper part to the show and, you know, you find yourself connecting. You can see yourself in a lot of the the, the, the people in the race. So, I mean, I look at just as the host, I can see, you know, representation in me and my family in a lot of the races. So I think a lot of people will be inspired by them and I urge everyone to pick a team on Monday night, pick a team, stick by that team and hope they win. All right, Bo Ryan, host of The Amazing Race Australia on 10 and apparent accidental musical superstar with five to 10-year-olds. Thank yeah. you for joining us. I don't know about superstar, <laughs> but well, I don't even know about star. But That's like, my creative license. Oh, okay. I've called it. You're a superstar. Yeah. It's done. All right, thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Before we wrap up this week, if you or one of your colleagues is looking to boost your career, Mumbrella Next is being held on the 10th of December in Sydney and is aimed specifically at people in the industry who might be a bit newer. So if you've been around for 10 years or a bit less, then this event is for you. We're going to have topics to help you take your career to the next level with really high-level speakers, including the Chief Marketing Officer of Coles, Lisa Ronson, the Head of CHE Proximity, Chris Howitson, the CEO of Nova Entertainment, Kathy O'Connor, and many, many more. So head to mumbrella.com.au slash nextawards for all the details on both the awards and the half-day conference that precedes it. For now, though, thank you, team, for joining me on this spooky Halloween. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.